At Journey Beyond Divorce, we understand that navigating through the emotional tsunami of separation and divorce is one of the hardest journeys you'll take. And we know that once the initial fear and pain begins to pass, a whole new storm of confusion, uncertainty, and self-doubt can surface. Journey Beyond Divorce can help you identify and clarify where you're feeling stuck and what steps you need to move forward, even if they're just baby steps. We guide you with practical, tangible support that you can start implementing right away. Our team of experienced divorce coaches is ready to help you. Listen through the show because we have a gift just for you. It'll help you navigate your divorce with more calm and confidence. You're listening to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast with Karen McMahon. We invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience. Heal your heart while refining your character and enable you to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. Life is bigger than that pain. And I know it sounds like it's not right now. You don't feel like it is because your pain is everywhere you turn, but life, your life is way bigger than that. That's a, that's such a small part of your book. Uh, You just can't see it right now. Welcome to Voices of Celebration. This series is designed to inspire and encourage you as we share real-life experiences of former Journey Beyond Divorce clients who invested in their personal growth through divorce and emerged a better version of themselves with a more rewarding post-divorce life. Today with me is a dear friend and former client of mine, uh, Clint Powell. Welcome, Clint. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. Can you hear me okay? I can. I can. Good. Now, how how long ago did you and I first meet? It was four years ago this past mid-spring, around April or May, four years ago. Okay. So you started four years ago. Would you describe, you reached out to me, would you describe your divorce um, as high conflict, right now we're working with a lot of people going through a high conflict divorce. How would you describe yours? That's an interesting question because you've, you've, we were talking about this before we came on, and I would say there was a lot of conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, high conflict, when I wrote it down, you're not going to see, I write stuff down because, and I don't tell you what I'm going to say. <laughs> so that's why I'm the guinea pig on this series, and I'm excited <laughs> to be here. But, but the, the highest conflict, the deeper I got into it, actually was with me. I had more conflict with me, but the conflict with my ex and the situation, there was a lot of conflict. Uh, I don't know if it was super high, but the, the more that I talked with you and the more that I, that I kind of went through the process, the, the one I struggled with the most eventually was with me. Right. And, and you're in very good company uh, well, good. with that. Because whether it's high conflict or just your, let's say, garden variety divorce, the bottom line is a marriage is breaking up. Often there are children involved. There's all of the fear and uncertainty of finances and in-laws and parenting. So there's conflict. Yeah, well, and I can't remember. I'm sure you said it to me. I'll give all the good stuff that I learned credit to you, even though I was trying to read a bunch of stuff and consume positive stuff. But it has the 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 uh, 
the impact of a death because you're, you're just the death of a family or the death of a relationship, but it also has the anxiety of continuing in a different way. So every time I'm having to deal with my, my, my ex or the kids in, in a different way or attorneys, I'm reminded of the loss. So the really, the, the, the grieving process is just, it's just convoluted. It's weird. Yeah. What would you say, um, when you reached out, what would you say were your three um, or your your top greatest struggles? Do you remember? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> My top greatest struggles. It was, um, I, I think it was just an overwhelming sense of sadness. And see, I think guys, too, have a hard time um, talking through that. Because I reached out to you. And uh, some other folk quickly, I mean, like within a couple of days of hearing your podcast after I was, I knew what was go- we were going to go through. And I told you, most guys that I know don't go down the road of trying to take advantage of that time and heal themselves. And I was just overwhelmed with sadness. And saying that out loud, when you get somebody on the phone, I wanted to be mad and I was mad and I wanted to be hurt and I was hurt. The sadness was that was the overwhelming and it was everywhere. It was like a blanket. I couldn't at the gym, wherever I tried to do the sadness was there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a black cloud that you're living under for a while. Yeah. And And then the other emotions kicked in, you know, then the other stuff, the jealousy or the anger or the regret and the guilt. So. Yeah. And one of the things I remember us talking about was, um, had to do with, uh, a frustration about um, going through the process and also um, how how your ex showed up. Like I remember a lot of times talking about how your ex showed up and it turned out that her behavior had been fairly similar to what it was prior to the divorce. Um, and there was a resistance in there. Do you remember that at all? Mm-mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nope. Uh, I didn't resist anything. It's not etched in my mind at all. Those, <laughs> the, the last four years of me, you know, the painful process of growth. No, I remember it. But, and again, I don't know if it's just a DNA thing or what. I was acutely aware, though, of, and, and again, with coaching and with what you kept saying and the podcast I would listen to that you were either guest on or producing at the time, <clears throat> I was acutely aware of how she showed up and that frustrated me and she had been showing up that way. But I was also aware that I had been showing up my way, which was affecting her. And it's, so when I, when you said a minute ago, I'm in good company when I was, you know, I'm also in good company. I think when we go through a process like that, of really wanting to evaluate the other person and how they show up, but really don't want to evaluate me showing up. Because then I really, that's when the guilt started setting in, to be honest with you. It went from sadness and anger and jealousy to a lot of guilt and regrets when all of a sudden the mirror is kind of wiped clean and you're not looking at them anymore, you're looking at you. Right. And that's actually when you can start making progress. Uh, And what what would you say, what's one of the things that... Um, that you felt you worked through a lot as you were 
coaching and going through that process? Well, if you come, I don't know, everybody comes from different perspectives in life. If you come from a competitive perspective, whether it's business or physical, like if you're an athlete, or if you're, you know, if you're not going to lose a game of Monopoly with the family, if that's your mindset, um, I had to start being uh, comfortable with the waves of emotions. And I remember distinctly, you said that you're going to have moments that are going to feel great. You're going to be like, I'm listening to Rocky music and I'll, I'm going to lose that weight. And by golly, I am changing the world. And then 30 seconds later, you're going to hear a different song <laughs> or you're going to be at the grocery store and you're going to start snot crying in the parking lot. And that's normal. And that was my biggest struggle is knowing it's normal, knowing it's going to come, but how do you, how do you function? I still got to work. I still got kids. I still got obligations. I don't want to be defined by the guy that's divorced, single, now in his 50s, you know. And so the hardest part for me was getting used to the new normal. That was, that was a struggle. Right. Yeah. Do, do you remember how long that took, getting used to the new normal? Um, well, you know what? I don't know, and this may not be the answer you're looking for, so feel free later to edit this out and not invite me back on. I don't know if I really ever got used to it or if I want to. And here's why. Because through the process of learning how to deal with that, I I woke up real quick to life's always going to throw you new normals. My kids are moving out and going, you know, they're going to move. I'm going to be a single empty nester and you're going to have to switch houses maybe and jobs. You know, the world we're living out now is so um, crazy that, um, I don't think I've gotten used to the normal. I just think I got used to the process of how to deal with it. That mm-hmm. to me, getting used to the process and developing those habits was the best thing that happened because then I can apply that stuff to other things that has nothing to do with the divorce. And, Does that and make sense? That, that's actually such a great answer too because as we invite people into the coaching modality, while we're coaching around the divorce and the aspects of the divorce, the the toolbox that you're building is to navigate any tribulation that life throws you with um, with more acceptance, with a more solution oriented focus, with more ability to feel your feelings and let them go. And so, to your point, like I know your son just recently moved out. My son just moved to Washington State. He just moved into Seattle two days ago, um, and that's really hard. That's that's its own little mini loss and difficulty, right? Yeah, and I think, and I don't want to just keep referring to guys, but I'm since I'm the, you know, I can only refer to it as a guy because that's what I am. But we 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 always think we we say these things like uh, to everything there is a season, and we try to give us great advice, but we are really not great at acknowledging that God gave us emotions for a reason. I mean, sadness is not bad. It's just like food. It's not bad as long as you can have moderation, figure out why, and learn the lesson. Neither is guilt. Neither is regret all these emotions. And I think something happens when you get married and you start having kids and building a family, at least in in our, in my situation, I quit putting tools in my toolbox, you know, dating your wife. They say date your wife. Absolutely. But I I, I regretted not dating my wife with intention. It's not just going out to eat. Oh yeah. I, I like to tell everybody and date my wife. No. Is it, is it good time? Is, are we, 
Do I know what she likes to read now? Am I paying attention to what she wants to do with her new habits? <clears throat> excuse me, her new hobbies? Or am I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just check, check it off. I did a date night and I quit putting tools in my toolbox. Yeah. And I'm hearing on a number of different levels, you talked about grieving. And so being conscious and intentional about feeling your feelings, you're talking about the toolbox of relationship, like how am I communicating? How intentional am I as I set that date? um, And how present am I in what I'm doing is what I'm hearing. Yeah, absolutely. And And the other thing I know that when we were talking was I wanted to handle it as best possible because I knew that there's life after that is as hard as that is. And again, that goes to that sadness, right? I never anticipated life after that. That was my life. But I also knew my kids were watching. And whatever I was going through was multiplied in their world because one was 12 and one was 16 or 17. And so I, I just, I was trying my best to let them see what I was going through as honestly as possible without dumping my healing on them, which I think is a danger too. So. Right. And, and very important, right. To decide what you are and are not sharing with your children. Now you have a very um, special bond with your kids. Like every time we talk, you are, I get the sense that your role as dad is your most important role in the world. If I died tomorrow and a thousand people came to my funeral and 998 of them stood up and said they didn't like me and my two kids stood up and said I did a good job, everybody else can, that, that's on them. I, I, in, my, in my world, uh, that is a, that's, that's what I am. I'm a dad first and then, but that's also dangerous. I'm learning, you got to be careful with that. Because you're always going to be a dad, but that role changes. And that goes back to learning those habits, those processes. And, and what, what would you say on the parenting front was your, um, what fears did you have early on? Because you were so close to your children. Um, I don't know. I, the, my worst fears for my kids were... First of all, that I was going to screw that up like I had screwed up a marriage. And I'm just talking how I felt at the time. You know, right. I, I, I'd already screwed up the, the, the most important relationship outside of God. And so this is my kids now. I don't want to screw that up. Right. And then the other thing is <clears throat> I really wanted to figure out how to set up a way that they could talk to me as they were dealing with this, because I knew the danger is if I don't handle it right and become really selfish with this right now, they will start talking to somebody and it won't be me or it won't be their mother. I wanted her, I wanted them to have the best relationship with their mom too. So it wasn't just a, I want them to be good with me. I wanted them to be able to talk to both of us. Uh, So that was my fear is that I was going to, I just didn't want to shut them out and I didn't want to screw it up. And how's your relationship with them now? Just outside of COVID and being the boy in the bubble, <laughs> uh, it is it's just, it's great. You know, my son had moved out, like you said, about a year and a half ago. And he works, he's an essential worker. And uh, he thought he was sick a couple of weeks ago. So he had to go get tested. I've not hugged him. I'm a hugger. Mm-hmm. And I've not hugged him since March. That's and he got, he got tested negative. So I put on my, a different shirt. I put on a mask and we hugged for about 10 minutes 
the other day and I said, okay, we're good now for a while. Yeah, but it's going good. It's a good relationship and they've, they're, they've progressed well. I mean, they, they're, they're like us, they carry some baggage, but I don't know what else to do with it except deal with it. And I think that that point of yours of open communication, it's like with open lines of communication, we can know what's going on with them better and, and do our best to support them in navigating whatever that baggage is. When those lines of communication are shut down, that's a pretty scary place to be. Calming the chaos of divorce begins with quieting your mind and getting clear on what you want and how to get it. That's why we created the Divorce Survival Kit. It's an easy-to-digest guide with five essential tips that help transform your suffering into valuable insights and your confusion into effective action. So go to DivorceRecoveryLifeline.com and grab your Divorce Survival Kit today. But it all goes back to developing the new habits. I had been so busy... uh, I've been so busy, but not intentional with my, my wife at the time. I didn't want that to happen with my kids. I don't want it to happen with my friends or any new relationships either. So the habit of listening with purpose and being in the moment uh, became a habit. And that's the other thing I would encourage anybody getting ready to go through this or if you're in the middle of it is focus on your habits, focus on one or two things. Don't try to, don't try to fix everything at once. Just one thing at a time. And, uh, that focus really helped a bunch. I, you know, uh, whether it's your reading or hiking, find something. Uh, and this, this is the part that stinks to hear. It does get better. And I think that's what hurt me the most when, when people like you would say, it will get better. I didn't want it to get better. I wanted it to get fixed. You know, and so... Okay. That's a and hard that realization. Was, and that's part, of, that's part of the resistance that we go through. And certainly the people, like, I don't know what portion of our audience um, uh, initiated the divorce and what portion, uh, you know, where their spouse decided they wanted a divorce. But that resistance of, I just don't want this to be, um, yeah. is, is a tough place to be because for as long as you resist it, and it's part of the grieving process. That early denial makes perfect sense. But if months and months and months later, you're still in that same place, the amount of pain for you, the person going through the divorce increases so much. Well, yeah. And, and again, that's, uh, our, you know, the realization that you're both victims in this relationship and you're both villains. Right. You just play the roles at different times and on different topics. Uh, when you start realizing that kind of stuff and you start trying to, you think to yourself, well, maybe we, you know, maybe I'll just, I'll just try to fix it. I'll just try to fix it. I'll apologize. I'll fix this. Even when I'm just saying it to you, I wasn't, I may not be saying it to, to her. The realization comes on you pretty quick that, okay, I need to really start looking in the mirror here and working on myself. And that is the, to me, Hearing that from something, someone consistently like yourself, in a in a very polite manner, to pull it back to what can. And here's why: <clears throat> if you're in business, you can't fix the you can't fix the market, you can't fix your competition. If you're working out, I can't do the workout of the other person. The only thing that I could control was me, and I was the most. Bro- I was you know I was broken. So, 
Exactly. I'm hearing that uh, a few of your takeaways uh, are uh, certainly being more intentional and conscious uh, and really allowing yourself to feel of those feelings and go through the grieving process. What would you say are a couple of the other key takeaways that you had from coaching or just from navigating the divorce and coming out the other side better? Well, and I hate to you know say it twice, but the stuff that I learned going through that, I can kind of carry into other things. So, uh, and plus it also made me more aware of when other people were in pain. So one of the key things that helped me with is when my friends are going, I gave some, I was on the phone the other night with one of my buddies who was thinking, you know, he, he may be going down this road soon. And uh, I found myself saying stuff that I heard you say and that I tried. And then I kept thinking, man, you don't understand. I'm going to turn you on to Karen McMahon and let you go do it with the professional. But I found myself listening and, and having those moments where I hear what I said. And so it's, it's helped me be a better listener. Um, and it's also let me understand that life is, uh, this is going to sound harsh. If you're going through the divorce, if you're just in the early stages, this sounds harsh, but life is bigger than that pain. And I know it sounds like it's not right now. You don't feel like it is because your pain is everywhere you turn, but life, your life is way bigger than that. That's a, that's such a small part of your book. Uh, you just can't see it right now. Well, and I think that that's, that's why we're doing this Voices of Celebration, because it's not about celebrating divorce. It's about celebrating the, the growth through a struggle, a trial and a tribulation, and, um, and that the sky didn't fall, the earth didn't open up and eat you up. You, you grew, you strengthened you emerged um, with some extra tools, with some extra awareness. And the celebration is that the nightmare didn't happen um, post-divorce. And in fact, life is bigger. And I'm hearing you say that these are tools that you're using in relationships, you're using in in the workplace, that you're using with your children. So, so the, and so often where, uh, helping clients find the diamond in the rough like what out of this whole hot mess this misery yeah um is there any purpose is there any positive purpose to it and let me and- answer that question for you right now if you're in the middle of it the answer is no <laughs> that's how you feel right this minute it really, that's you know if you would ask me that i remember being on the phone with you and literally trying to talk between crying and you know the the moments of this happened and this happened and you asked me a minute ago, one of the, the takeaways, <clears throat> anytime you can go through something that painful, as, and I'm not the only one, we all have gone through stuff, right? But you can become more self-aware and become more aware of your strengths and your expectations. And the word that you did, you said a lot, the boundaries that I'm willing to set up for myself, not just from future relationships, but what I expect from me, how I'm going to set boundaries for Clint now. Right. That to me is one of the best things I took away from it. But yeah, you're in the middle of it. If you were to say it's, there's going to be good things come from this. You're going to, no, there's not. There's, this is just a, it's going to be like this forever. And that was, that's a struggle. That's normal. That's what the other thing you made me feel is that this is normal. It's normal. And, 
when I was going through my divorce, uh, my, my favorite mantra was this too shall pass. And my divorce was three and a half years. And so that was something I said thousands of times. And yet now it's 14 years ago. And to your point, life is bigger. Life is bigger than any given tribulation. And, and yet uh, there's a lot of healing and there's a, lot, there's a lot of grieving and healing. And for the people, one of our desires as, as an organization, Journey Beyond Divorce, is in the long term to reduce the rate of divorce and especially second and third um, marriages that end in higher and higher rates of divorce because the people who remarry, they don't do this work. They don't see their part in it. So they go out and they rinse and repeat. They find the same man or woman in a different body. And within the seven, first seven years of the honeymoon being over, you're back exactly where you were. Yes. Um, yeah. And so being able to do it, what would you say, like, how would you describe um, your post-divorce a couple of years now, right? So what did it take you yeah. like a year or so to go through it? So what well, would no, you I, was, uh, I got mine over with pretty fast. Cause once I realized that we went, once she said, we're, this is, this is it. There's no, cause we had a couple of weeks where we thought about stuff. It was six months. We did the basic minimum here in the state of Tennessee. And I'm like, if we're doing it, I'm going to squeeze in as much therapy as possible. And we're going to start this process fast. Right. So you were, you began and ended within a six month period. Absolutely. And I couldn't imagine going through that for three years like you did. Yeah. That would drive me that I think when I hear stories like that, cause I've had buddies or, or, or associates and friends have gone through some pretty difficult divorces and I, I can't imagine that throwing the business side of that in there. Cause that's what divorce is. It also becomes a business transaction. Yes. And that again, you throw that in with the emotions. Yes. It's just another component. But uh, the three-year divorce that you described, that makes my, I, I just got goosebumps thinking about having to do that. I couldn't do that, I don't think. You know, what's really interesting, Clint, is I've worked with clients in, I don't remember what the states were, but where they, they literally were divorced in like 60 or 90 days. Mm -hmm. And it almost had the opposite impact. Like for the person who wasn't ready it was so fast. It was too fast. And it was so overwhelming. And then all of a sudden they're left, you know, without the marital home, without the kids on a regular day. And that had its own shocking value. And then for those who were in high conflict divorces and, you know, talk about a season of your life, like years and years, it's, it's the marathon that you just don't know how you have enough energy to run. Um, yeah. We were married right at 20 years, 21 years. And we went through in the state of Tennessee, if you have children, I think it's a not, it's a three month or six month. I can't remember. You have to go to parenting classes. Yes. And then without kids, I think it's 60 days or 90 days. And there's no, of course, no parenting classes. But when we went, cause me and my ex went to the parenting classes together and the instructor of that class was like, we were like 10% of the people that come together to those parenting classes, which amazed me and her. Because whatever problems she and I had had none to do with the kids. Right. And I kind of knew at that point, if that made it, believe it or not, that made it easier because I knew we had one thing that we could always talk about that we were going to come from a good place. And that right. was what's best for those kids. Right. Because you guys, that was a, a, a foundation of um, yeah. shared agreement and love the kids, right? right? Yeah. So 
What would you say, um, how would you describe your co-parenting? I think that this is, this is really helpful. You know, a lot of times with the high conflict, they end up, uh, we, we end up talking to people about parallel parenting rather than co-parenting. Co-parenting in a divorce like yours can also be really sloppy or really good. And so what would you say um, you and your ex do really well? And what would you say are one or two things that if you could, if you could improve, uh, you would want to improve on? Um, well, it's really, it's really odd because, uh, first of all, I think we do a great job because we, again, we both try to come from a place of what's best for the kids, but we don't have the same roads to get to the same destinations all the time. So the things that I would have to tolerate when we were married, like <clears throat> tone, uh, calling back immediately, excuse me. I hate to do that in your first video. Like I'm the guinea pig. That's it. You're out. <laughs> God. And I'm over here like I've got COVID coughing. I'm surprised. I need to have a mask on. I, I know. Where's my mask? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going through the, the, the wires. Um, but so how we get to those points are different. So and vice versa. She doesn't have to tolerate a lot of the stuff when you're married. I got to listen to him talk like this because we're married and I disagree with him. But when you're not married, you get to say things like, hey. I don't have this kind of time right now. We're going to talk about it later. Or if we're going to talk like that to me, I can't let you, we're just, I'm just not going to let that happen. And that happens. Hearing both boundaries. Ways. Am I hearing boundaries? Well, here's what, here, and that goes, <laughs> but that goes both ways. So what's right. good is when you set a boundary, a lot of times the other person will get frustrated and angry because right. they're not used to that. Right. But it's also, you've got to go back to being self-aware and those processes when they set a boundary and you start to feel your blood pressure going up, you have to really <clears throat> be able to step back and go, wait a minute, maybe they're setting up, you know, they yeah. can set boundaries too. It's not like you're the only one walking out of here free and clear and got all right. this growth to do. They got stuff to deal with too. Right. And when they start imposing that or when they start using it to better themselves, you have to be willing to set your boundaries and you got to be willing to accept some boundaries. And that's not always, there's been plenty of times we've hung up with each other angry yeah. and call each other back or text. Sorry about that. You didn't deserve that tone or she'll call me or I'll call her. And so it's not, it's not easy, but it, it is, it is, uh, it, it's healthy. It's good. Uh, I think it's, I think it's the way it's supposed to be. Right, because it sounds to me that in your situation, both parents have the children front and center. And, you know, and to those listening, it doesn't matter if your children are 5, 15, 30, or 45. They're still the children, and you want to be careful about how you involve them and what's going on with mom and dad and the divorce. And, and that doesn't always mean, too, just because we both have their best interest at heart, it doesn't mean that we're always going to agree with what the decision I mean, there are, there are times I've said, I completely disagree with you, but that's your call because it just is. They're at your house or that's the responsibility that you've agreed to take on. I disagree. And you have to, it's almost like politics in the old days, not politics now because it's dirty and it's crazy, but it's the, the art of the compromise. As long as it's not dangerous for the child or you think it's going to hurt the kid, you have to learn the art of the compromise as a as a parent, I and, see a cat. Yeah, I was just going to say, Missy wants to join I us. Either that's a cat, <laughs> or it's the strangest house burglar I've ever seen in my 
<laughs> Somebody has snuck into your house. She's coming to tell me that it's dinner time. Actually. I'm sorry. I've um, talked too long. So, so um, the art of the compromise. And I think that that shift from when both kids are under the roof and now it's like what, what you do on your time in your house um, you're going to have a different way than me, maybe. And, and that compromise or maybe even surrender that like it or not, as long as the children aren't in danger, you know, that's, it's not your call anymore. What happens well, part in the, of the other divorce. household? Right. I mean, if I wanted to do everything, you know, co-parent in a house with you, I would have stayed married. Right. So you know what I'm saying? So that's yeah. part of the freedom of the divorce. Now I will say this, the thing that we do, I think, pretty well and I and I would encourage other parents to do is communicate especially initially <clears throat> communicating about what's going on with the son or daughter when they're at the other person's house like hey this is the kind of week they had these are a couple of the conversations we talked about by the way uh they, they're they're flirting with this guy or this girl they got football practice this is what happened and that can be a daily thing at first but I almost getting a report on how it's going. So the other parent doesn't feel like there's these missing gaps right. of a life that they're out of the loop on. You so I just want to, I, I want to say that you have, um, you have a really, really healthy approach to this. And uh, I love everything you said. And I think that even in the more garden variety uh, divorces, you often hear how, They've legally divorced, but they're still in that emotional um, uh, wrestling match uh, and and kind of getting triggered by each other. And I'm hearing that you guys are really, you may be different, you may have different approaches, but you're sharing critical information. You're that that child centered focus sounds very very much uh, in play in your relationship. A hundred percent. But I will tell you, there is something people need to be prepared for, whether you're garden variety or high conflict, you're still going to get triggered <laughs> when you said that, because when we started this conversation, I said the high, the person I had the highest conflict with was me. And doesn't mean that I didn't have conflict with her at all. And there are things that she does and says, and there are things that I do and say to her, trust me. There's triggering that goes on. It's just how you learn to deal with that. Go back to that growth process. Uh, there's triggering. The blood pressure will go up. Your ears will get red. And I'm Irish. I get really blotchy, you know. But the way you react is different than what course, you used yes. to. And so it's almost like you have that internal conflict. But when you've done the work, number one, you can stop externally reacting and then and then as time goes on, we even internally react less. See, you're so much better at this. There's, see, here's what I say. There's inside words and there are outside <laughs> words. You got to keep your inside words inside and say the outside words outside. The problem is when you let an inside word come out, mm-hmm. that's the problem. And that's, yeah. when you, and that's, but that's the art of maturity and that's the art of growth is yeah. going, this is what I want to say. Take a few deep breaths and let those cuss words float into the atmosphere and then go, Oh, I completely see your point, but I really think you ought to look at it from a different perspective. <laughs> Very well done, Clint. Absolutely. Then you hang up the phone and you walk around and cuss out and your dog's looking up at you like, you're crazy. I want to go outside and, and go, go in the yard or something. So, What would you like to leave our listeners with? One or two um, takeaways, tips uh, before we wrap up? I, I don't know. Uh, tips. Get, I, I mean, I 
I'm a big fan of coaching, especially guys, because I don't, and I don't, again, I'm not, I don't mean to stereotype, but I think women seek help a little bit more on these things. <clears throat> if you're a guy and you're finding this, if it's Karen and her team, that's great. If it's somebody else that you trust, that's fine. But getting help, I think is a big deal because life is short and the bootstrap mentality is great, but I don't understand this. I've never been a carpenter. So teaching myself how to be a carpenter is kind of stupid. So I've, if I've never used to dealing with my emotions in a healthy way, I'm not all of a sudden be able to teach myself how to do that. <clears throat> so getting help is one. I would say a couple more things that there's hope. Don't just hope is a big word. It's a big deal. Um, and the, the other thing that I got in my head, this too shall pass was my mom's mantra, by the way, <laughs> since I was a small child. So I heard that a bunch, but I would pray a lot. And, and when I first started praying, I would pray for God. This is what I need the miracle to look like. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> so God, here's what I need you to do. Me too. To, right. Yeah, here are my I orders. To, I need you to fix me. <clears throat> and now on her, here's a list of things I need to fix about her. <laughs> and then if you could bring us together, you know, if, if the, if I stop praying, I open my eyes and there's a red car driving by, I'll know you heard me. I'll give God these somehow the burning bush mandate, you know, and, and it really hit me, and, and I, I, I want to say that it came to me, but I probably somebody said it. But I'm not God, so God's in the miracle business. So telling God what the miracle's got to look like is silly because the miracle can look like something like right now. This, the, how my kids have learned, how I've learned, how my ex is moving on. It's, it would just be like going up, you know, telling God when, when he got to the river and saying, Moses, like, part the Red Sea, saying, build a bridge. And God's like, people have seen bridges. They've never seen this, you know. And so the, some of the best advice I got was when you pray, at least in my world, <clears throat> just pay for strength and hope and uh, leave the miracles, the miracle mandates out of it. Because trust me, you're not going to tell God to do something better than he's already got planned if you can let go. And that's the hard part. You know, that's amazing that you say that because toward the end of my divorce, and I had the same thing, I had a rather long list for him, um, and, right? So, and I remember at the end saying, I'm going to change my prayer to your will in your time, and please give me the strength, the patience, and the courage to abide. And it actually was such an enormous shift for me. I felt like everything started falling in place after that. Like once I stopped demanding my way and commanding God for what he had to do. Well, and two, when you first, and again, I know you're, I I feel like I've hogged your interview on this, so I'm sorry. Not at all. uh, But the other side too is when you first start praying, I just want to, I really feel for the, for the person that's in this at the very, very beginning. They just have realized this is happening. Your prayers are not going to have words. They're just not. Your prayers are going to be a lot of cussing. God's okay with you cussing. I'm just telling you right now. He, you're not going to shock him. But your prayers a lot of times are going to be crying. And just it's going to be just messy prayers. And I think those are the ones that God can do the most with. When you can't say what you want to say, you just know there's these things that you're going to just blurt out or cry in front yeah. of him. I think that's when God kind of goes, I can, I can do something with that, man. It's when you got your stuff together and you're like, dear thou us, Yeah. Yeah. God just kind of knows up front. Yeah. You're, 
you're not you're about to say something you don't really feel but when you've got snot coming out and you're just saying words that no one else can understand god looks down and goes i got i can, I got I can handle this is something i can work with yeah exactly thank you so much this has been wonderful it's been perfect thank you for sharing so so honestly and and vulnerably and it sounds like you are doing a, a really stand-up job and congratulations it's an ongoing process, but thank you for what yes. you did uh, when I first started going through it, all the help and, and guidance you gave me. The coaching was awesome. And, uh, you know, it's, if, you're, if you're somebody out there and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know who to talk to, uh, be careful talking with your friends all the time. They'll say what you want to hear. Yeah. So getting, a, getting somebody with a little bit of a distance like yourself involved really helped me a lot. So thank you. You're very welcome. Excellent. Thanks right. again. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode and I'll talk to you soon.